night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I'm your host, Ross Bolin, here at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas, with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Hi. Hello. Hey. And I think you mean the brisk and freezing cold Austin, Texas. You know, it's known for this. It's known for its, its, uh, its freezing cold temperatures year-round. Yes, many people confuse it with the North Pole. Right, right. Yeah, that's why it has the nickname Boston, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> People picture Austin, Texas in their heads, and they and it's just this freezing just landscape a, yeah, of yeah, ice. Yeah. People sometimes think that Green Bay is the frozen tundra. But it's actually, actually here. That, yeah, that's actually Austin, not Green Bay. How about these local weather jokes to start the show? <laughs> Are you feeling that? Yeah, very regional. But you know yeah. what's not regional? dressing for cold weather which is why you should <laughs> listen to my other podcast called club cool available on apple Podcasts and spotify oh, follow shit. it on instagram at club cool pod you know a, what else there's is, a quick little plug you know what else is great about uh clothes that keep you warm what's that we sell some oh yeah yeah we do uh the night's rewatch is brought to you by our in-house clothing brand rowdy gentlemen which you can check out at rowdygentlemen.com we are having uh what we got a code for you Sumai, I bet. I bet it's Sumai. Oh, you're right. It is. You if I know my Sumai. codes, and I think I do, it's Sumai. You invoke Sumai at checkout, and you get 15% off just for listening to this episode. So go to RowdyGentleman.com today. Check out the fall 2018 collection. We've got many great long sleeve tees that'll keep you warm this fall and winter in the cold weather. And as I mentioned, you get 15% off your entire order for invoking Sumai by typing in S-U-M-A-I. At checkout. If the Clam Fam is not aware, we're doing weekly drops on Rowdy Gentlemen currently. We're just, we're pumping out new stuff, but not like oh. an overload of, uh, of new stuff. It's just like one or two items a week. Right. And we listened to our consumer base, and we're doing a lot of stuff on comfort colors right now. People dig comfort People colors. People really like their comfort colors, you know, and anybody can print on them. It's very democratic. It's very, you know, we love that. We love the comfort colors and we're giving you the comfort colors. So this like, if you go to the new and you just look at the top row and like, we just dropped a new Natty Ice Tea today. We've got a, a DCO Tea for, for, the, for the touchers out there, for, for the touch nation overlapping with the clam fam. I'm sure there's a few of you. Oh, sure. Um, and then we've got some long sleeve comfort colors uh, where you can rep your brunch drink. Right, choice. mimosas or, or Bloody Marys. Team right. Bloody and Team yeah. Mimo. That, Mimo? Yeah, that's, Is that how they're saying it? It's a Mimo. It's a Mimo. The kids these are calling them Mimos kids. these days. These, yeah. yeah. Whatever. RowdyGentleman.com. Sumai. This is the Night's Rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with Season 1, Episode 1, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. I can talk faster than you. 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. You can call it questions, theories, clam fam corrections. Uh, call whenever you want. 86643clams. Clams. This episode of the Night's Rewatch is also brought to you by Audible. There is no better place to listen to audiobooks that motivate us, inspire us, even bring us closer together than Audible. Why is Audible the best? Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible originals, 
Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. Right now, I'm listening to The Hike by Drew McGarry. I'm almost done. It's a very, very cool, very good book. Highly recommend it. Big fan of Drew. Mixes comedy and fiction well. Uh, if you've always wanted to read A Song of Fire and Ice, the books that inspired the television show we are talking about, but you keep putting them off because they're so long, Audible has them all, and you can just listen. You don't even have to use your pathetic little eyes to read the words on the pages. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, Audible does it for you. It does it for you. Mm-hmm. It reads it into your ears. Every month, Audible members get credit for any audiobook they choose, plus Audible originals from a changing selection that you can't get anywhere else. You get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. If you're trying to get back in shape, there you go. Plus, these books are all yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. If you don't like your audiobook, just exchange it, no questions asked. The Clam Fam, you can start a 30-day trial. Get your first audiobook free. All you have to do is go to audible.com slash dragon or text dragon to 500 Five zero zero to get started. That's a u d i b l e dot com slash dragon. Dragon or text dragon. Dragon to five zero zero five zero zero. Dragon. Let's get into it. Season six, episode seven, "The Broken Man," written by Brian Cogman, directed by Mark Mylod. Here's the description: The High Sparrow considers another target. Jamie confronts a hero. Arya makes a plan. Memories are awakened in the north. Who was writer director again? Uh. Cogman and Mylod. So the Cogman right. is now writing episodes for Mylod. In addition to directing some. That's how he rolls. But in this case, yeah, he is he's excuse me. He's tossing up the pitch and Mylod's the one hitting it. But he's yeah. ta- he but he's throwing. Oh, he's he's yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. The Cogman position The Cogman is also he's like he's got like 14 different producer credits as well. So the Cogman's he's really uh dare I say it Quite a, a an integral cog of the entire wow. operation. Wow. Yeah. Multifaceted individual. Yeah. The cog man. Yeah. Brian. So we get a cold open in this episode, uh, courtesy of Mark Mylod. Also, season six, I guess this is no surprise. It's we're only it's not the it's not the most recent season, but it's the, it's one, the one right before, before that. that. Yeah. That's how the chronology works. Yeah, that's how time that's how works. Time works. Yeah. Um it's just slapping me in the face with stuff that I wasn't expecting. Smack, smack. I guess I guess I guess I was just kind of like putting all of this in season seven for some reason. I, I had done a little bit of that. I'd combined a lot of things from season six and seven into kind of one long stretch of yeah, my mind. But like, boom, here we go. Cold open. Here's Ray. And yeah. you know what Ray means? That means we're getting the hound back. What the hell? I had no way. I mean, we're right here. We're here. Yeah, the hound's so back. We go straight from the HBO to a bunch of folks working construction. They're, they're building something. It seems like a nice place. It's almost like Hobbitish. It's got like a Lord of the Rings feel to it. It's very green. I have a quick question for you. Huh. Sorry to keep going off on tangents. When you hear that HBO, the little, oh. the, the, oh, and the fizzy, the, you know, the scratchy screen. <sighs> yeah. In your mind, what is like? The Sopranos. It, okay. Yeah. For me, it's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. I, I hear the, the, the little, the dong, I and, think the, it's and the, the scratchy screen, and like my brain immediately expects the, Dun, 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 yeah. I think it's whatever show you first watched on HBO and spent okay. the most time with first. Because The Sopranos is my first HBO show that I watched hundreds of hours of or whatever. Right. So I associate it with that and expect The Sopranos theme music to kick off right afterward. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I feel that for Curb, too. Like, there's moments where I expect to hear the, the Larry David music after I hear the... The, the first time I really got... the uh, Actually, 
the first HBO show that I watched like basically front to back and spent tons of time with is um, Sex in the City. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. but it doesn't. But I, it does. That one doesn't click for me with the HBO sound. It's for some reason it's all it's all curb. I don't no, know. No, I no. guess for some reason they like the little that little intro and then right into the. I, what is that little song called? It's called like the Entertainer or something like that. It's kind of a classic What's jingle. The the noise? No 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 the the theme song for Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, I didn't realize that existed prior to Curb. I, I thought it was made just for that. Oh yeah. Okay, back to Game of Thrones. Sorry, I just I just had to ask the question. Oh, it's fine. Just derail us left <laughs> and right. I'll just recover. <laughs> anyway, it's green. It's happy. It's green. Looks seems like a fantastic place, and we're introduced to a new character, a man who is apparently in charge here. Wearing a gold seven-pointed star pendant around his neck. And it's Ian McShane from Deadwood. The classic HBO Western show that most people don't even know existed still. Uh, go watch Deadwood immediately. It's unbelievably good if you're into Westerns. One of my favorite shows ever. It's an HBO gym that kind of flew under the radar. Ian McShane is arguably uh, the main character. If not, he's one of the f- like three main characters. Uh, but he's in charge here of this commune. And uh, as we'll find out later, his character's name is Ray. So we'll refer to him as such, henceforth. So Ray's people are building, chopping wood, hammering nails, preparing food. They're working together to put this community together. It seems they're, uh, they're in the middle of like a valley. It's like a low place surrounded by hills and shit or mountains. And uh, they've got all these people carrying wood over to a main structure that they're building, possibly a church, and that's when we see him. Holy shit, it's the Hound, Sandor Clegane, who we last saw dying on the side of a mountain after Brienne kicked his ass off of it where Arya left him to die or to live. And he lived, and now he's a hippie or something. I don't know. I don't know what this is. I guess we'll find out, right? I do know. It's a secret. I've seen this episode mm, before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but apparently they did this cold open here to make sure the actor's presence in the episode, the actor who plays the Hound, that his presence in the episode wasn't ruined by the credits. That's it. It was just strategic so that nobody would be like, oh, the Hound is in this one. He's back. So we get two seconds of the hound and zero lines before the credits. And that's the surprise for, the sh- for this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's the only thing you had to look forward to. Uh, uh, so anyway, out of nowhere, we've got the hound. Then the uh, title sequence rolls as normal. Yeah. Then we pop back into this commune after the opening sequence, and the hound is chopping wood. Uh, Ray approaches him and says, In all my days, I've never seen a man swing an axe like that. How many men did it take to cut you down? And the hound says, just one. And Ray says, woo, must have been some kind of monster. And the hound says, he was a woman. <laughs> and Ray just laughs, and the hound continues chopping even more angry. Uh, just a little reminder there that this, this dude did get taken out by Brian. The, you know, that's a big deal. He to, was a woman. It was a woman. Good that line. Good defeated line. this giant was monster a of a man. Line. Yeah, he was a woman. Um, Next thing we see is a bell being rung, and it's time to eat for this this commune, apparently. We see, again, these happy faces, families eating together, the whole community. It seems to be the happiest fucking place we've ever been in Game of Thrones. I challenge you to name a happier place. Go. Um, there isn't one. These are the happiest people we ever see in the whole show, ever. May, uh, maybe Dorne prior to the Sand Snakes ruining everything. But yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Not Whorehouses don't count. Dorn is okay. essentially one giant whorehouse. <laughs> that doesn't count. Uh, but yeah, come no. on, come on. The water gardens. Everybody loves oh, the water the gardens. Fucking, the, God, the water gardens are beautiful, though. I really liked the cold open. By the way, I, I meant to it was throw. Solid. It, I, I meant to throw in my note here. It, it like gave me chills. It's funny though because it's not 
it was the least Game of Thronesy environment you could have cold opened yes. into. So yes. you're almost like, wait a minute, jar- am I no, watching the wrong show? Right, it's jarring. Did yeah. I got the wrong channel on here? What the fuck's yeah. going on? Yeah, it's a little weird. You're right. The greenery is not something you see very much of here, especially not recently. We've yeah. seen mostly dark because mo- winter's supposed to be like upon right. us, mm-hmm. so everything is like frozen and dark and shitty, and everyone's d- dying everywhere. It just uh, this is the happiest we've been in in ages, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. since season one, episode one. Wow. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So, uh, what's going on? We get the uh, Ray approaches the Hound, who's eating alone, and tells him that some of the men are afraid of him. And the Hound says he's used to that type of treatment from the other humans. Obviously, he's a very scary-looking individual, uh, just on, you know, skin deep. Uh, Ray expresses that when he found the Hound. He thought he'd been dead for days. The way he was stinking already, apparently he had bugs all over him, bone was coming through his leg. Uh, He says, I was going to give you a proper burial, and then you coughed. Nearly shit myself. And Ray asks the hound what kept him going, considering he thought he was going to die a dozen or more times from when he found him to when he got him fully recovered. And the hound's response to that is hate. Hate is what kept him going. And Ray says, no, there's a reason you're still here. Hound says, aye, there's a reason. I'm a big fucker and I'm tough to kill. I'm pretty sure he's eating fried chicken as he's talking here, just for the record. <laughs> um, but How'd they fry that chicken? I, dude, I don't know, but I, I paused and I swear to fuck he's holding like a chicken leg you would get from Popeye's or KFC. Huh. Yeah. And we know how the hound, the, uh, the hound loves chicken. He does love chicken. He does love chicken. Yeah. But All seven spices. Ray, yeah. Ray is <laughs> like, no, a reason. Gods aren't done with you yet. So he he believes, just on his experience with the Hound, that the Hound has some purpose. And he goes on, Ray does, to explain his views on religion. That he doesn't know uh, anything, really. He doesn't know if it's the Seven or the Old Gods, or maybe it's the Lord of Light, or maybe they're all the same fucking thing. He says, I don't know, he says. Although, again, it should be pointed out, seven-pointed star around his neck on a pendant. Um, Never gets explained why that's what he's chosen, but you get the feeling as the episode goes on He's essentially doing what he has to do to stay alive and safe. Not just for him, but for the people following him. I get, I almost got the feeling uh, he doesn't believe any of this religious stuff at all. He's utilizing it as a means to happiness, to uh, a community that, that is happy and feels safer. He uses it as a defense against uh, bad guys who might be coming to attack as well. Yeah, I don't know if I if, if I'm quite on the same page there. I think that I really take what he says pretty plainly and at face value, which is basically basically what he's, I feel like he's saying is that this is the way that they've chosen to bond over their community and the, the, the worship that they choose. But I think he's basically just saying, I'm not saying that this is the only way to worship or that this is the only God that's that's true. Right. So he like takes the religion certainly with like a grain of salt, especially in that they all might be the same thing, yeah. like he says. Like yes. he doesn't know if it's the mother and the father, or if it's the red god, or if it's the old gods, or what. But, he doesn't think it matters, but, right? But yeah. he doesn't matter. But he does say that what does matter is that there's something else out there that's like higher than the, than than us. Yes. Basically. Here's the direct quote: "What matters, I believe, is that there's something greater than us, and whatever it is, it's got plans for Sandor Clegane." So he's essentially like the Alcoholics Anonymous of Westeros. As long as you ha- acknowledge a higher power in some form, right. his commune can work for you. Yeah, that yeah, would be exactly. Ray's pitch on an infomercial. Yeah, and I so 
watching this, the cold open, and then this scene again, season six, kind of late season six here, going into the last two seasons. We're in the home fucking stretch. Home stretch. Already. You have to think, this is such a specific and pointed storyline. This Mm -hmm. one definitely feels like it's one that is basically right from the mouth of George Martin. Yeah, it does. And I just think it's... I, I, maybe in season seven we start to get we start to get a little bit of the way there, and we talk about Clegane Bowl and all that. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the Hound is a really really important character. He's that, like if, an, an an integral part of the story from here on out. This solidified him. I mean, the reason this cold opening was so powerful is because you go from maybe we never see the Hound again, right? Uh, because this is Game of Thrones, and you never know when a very important, seemingly uh, long term important character is just going to get cut the fuck out, right? Yeah. Um, but not only do you see him, the the weight around his narrative in this opening sequence yes. feels very important, right? Um, and it maintains that through the, when we get back to him at the end of the episode too. Like they wouldn't waste all this time, exactly, yeah. unless it really matters. Really and you're exactly right. It felt. I mean, we've had some very heavy shit on this show and some heavy cold opens, but this one was so different than anything else we've seen that it kind of like wakes you up a bit, like smacks you in the face a little bit, just as a piece of the episode mm-hmm. she's like oh shit things are really changing up here this week um the hound explains to ray that he's done horrible things uh wants to know why the gods haven't punished him if they're real and uh ray's response to that is they have which is interesting it the hound doesn't it just i guess that his answer right there is my uh, perspective is different than yours he sees a lot of the things that the Hound has gone through as punishment, whereas the Hound doesn't. Right. He looks at them differently. From there, we're in King's Landing, where Marjorie is reading the Book of the Mother, chapter 3, verse 12, in the Sept of Baylor, when the High Sparrow, uh, who it should be noted, Marjorie responds to with a, Your Holiness, which I'm not sure we've heard before. That's, that's what people call the Pope. Yeah, I have that in my notes as well. Is this new? Is this yes, the first time we've heard this? I think he's been knocked up a notch Your for Marjorie. Holiness. It's the beginning of an episode that is essentially supposed to make you think, holy shit, Marjorie is completely on board with these fanatics. She's one of them now. Yeah. She's been completely brainwashed into this faith militant situation. Because, uh, yeah, we, I, t- to my knowledge, and as far as my memory serves, which is not the most reliable source, uh, that's the first time we ever hear him referred to as your holiness. So, the High Sparrow quotes the exact verse that Marjorie was on without needing to see the book, and she cuts him off and continues the quote to show that she has, indeed, been studying very hard. And you learn quickly is the acknowledgement that he gives her in return. Um, the High Sparrow explains that there are some who know every word of the sacred text but don't have a drop of the mother's mercy in their blood. And likewise, there are savages who can't read it all who understand the father's wisdom. What he's explaining to Marjorie here is a very novel concept within, I would have to assume, every major religious community on the face of the earth. And that is that you can learn all the text, study as much as you want, whether it be the Bible or the Quran or whatever else is out there. But if you don't live, actually believe and feel the things that you're reading, it doesn't matter. And that's his point here. Also, there are people who can't read at all who, who understand and live what uh what these books contain and marjorie admits to being disgusted by the poor back when she was helping them so much um basically admits to being a hypocrite and the high sparrow acknowledges that we hate the poor that most people hate the poor because they're uh, they're us with the illusions torn away 
the homeless and the poor are what we'd look like without the fine garments that we wear. They, they smell like we would smell without the perfume, which is a really interesting point and not a way I've ever thought about like homelessness or poverty at same. all. Same. I, I have the same note. Exactly. And much. It's, it's a really interesting take. It's and accurate. It's, it's kind a, of it's it's a, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up when you think about it. Yeah. Um it's basically like saying it, it's kind of for a modern day interpretation, it kind of almost lampoons like the creature comforts that we all basically swear by. What's a creature comfort? Air conditioning warm clean clothes yeah like i need air microwaves tvs cable like all that all that shit that we is like part of like a daily life is basically with this and in, in this kind of view is like your finery basically right yeah you know and it's like you, you'd be if, scared if, to death if, you, if somebody told you you were gonna lose all those yeah things. exactly yeah. exactly like what if you could have none of that that's ba- that's basically then you're looking in, at, in the mirror and and you see because you a homeless person, a, yeah. A, yeah, a vagrant, uh, whatever. Yeah, and then soon you're dirty because you don't have a shower, right? And soon you're skinnier because you don't have any food. And next thing, yeah, you you see yourself in the mirror again, and you are you become what you used to hate. Yeah, to, to paraphrase um, the the prophet Young Jeezy. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That's the realest shit he ever wrote. It right is. There. <laughs> <laughs> have we ever acknowledged Jeezy on the pod before? The Snowman. Uh, Shout out to all the young Jeezy fans yeah. out there. So even though that I, even though I think that the High Sparrow slash His Holiness is um, you know full of shit, that that was some that was some deep stuff right there. It was, it was. Uh, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Young yeah. Jeezy. <laughs> this is a Young Jeezy podcast now. Just Jeezy now though. Why would he drop the Young? I don't know. Because he's not so young anymore, Barrett. I, I guess the years have passed. I don't know. I always wondered that. Some of them ditch the Young. Yeah. Lil, the little, yeah, and then you know, you never know what these guys. <laughs> they uh, they also don't start start their shows on time. That never, everybody never. knows. Can't, so can't do uh, that. yeah, then out of nowhere, the high sparrow is like, "Hey, uh, the king mentioned that since your reunion, you haven't joined him in the marriage bed. You have a duty, your grace, to your husband, your king, your country, to the gods themselves." This is kind of out of left field. He's like, "Let's talk about fucking." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she says, it's just the desires that once drove me no longer do. So she's basically saying, like, look, I used to have that uh, that lust, mm-hmm. and I don't have that anymore because I've been converted to your religion. Right. And I'm a devout follower. So you're going to need to explain to me how this fits into my life now, mm-hmm. essentially. And they're sitting on that tiny two-person bench that we've seen the High Sparrow meet with Tommen on. It's, uh, it puts the two people sitting on it awkwardly close together so that no matter what's being said, it's strange and awkward. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and has an undertone or a sexual undertone. Yes, no matter what. Yeah. And uh, it's like in the middle of the room, too. It's just terribly placed. The whole the bench sucks, and they need another bench. I, I but do, it serves its purpose. I'm sure. I'm, I feel positive that we talked about this first go-round on season six. That I felt like the sparrow like kind of gets a little creepy with like a hand touch on Marjorie's leg, like a hand on the knee and, and shit. all that. Yeah, it didn't affect me the same way this time, but I think that's because I know the ending, and so that little and so maybe it, maybe I didn't read into it as much this time because I know that it never goes anywhere close to that direction. Yeah, really. well, it's his his whole demeanor really leaves things open ended for you, like in, as far as what his. Uh, 
actual beliefs are and right. what his actual intentions are. Totally, yeah. We you, don't. You have, never yeah. get a good feeling for like, wait a minute, is he hitting on her? Right. Or is he just being genuine? Like, yeah. it's really, really hard to tell. He crushes his role in that regard, where yeah. it's like you can never put your finger on exactly what it is that he's fucking doing. Um, but the the little bench cracks me up every time I see it. So, <laughs> uh, Marjorie's response again. She's explaining to him she no longer has the lust that she once did. She no longer has the desires that she once had. And the High Sparrow's response to that is, Congress does not require desire on the woman's part. <laughs> Only patience. <laughs> the king must have an heir if we are to continue our good work. Gross. Now, obviously, that's a disgusting line that is meant to be <laughs> disgusting. Um, and it's basically this. This is the way I read it. The High Sparrow here is either legitimately attempting to help not only the king, but the queen and the whole union, the whole idea of the king and queen. Or he is trying to help himself by ensuring that the line, the bloodline that has already agreed to work with him, the bloodline that he has in a corner, that he has full control over now, he wants to ensure that bloodline continues. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm option B. I'm I am camp too. option B. I am too. He's basically, he's started to wrap his tentacles around... Everything, really. Around Marjorie and Tommen. Mm-hmm. And if they give him an heir, he will have the like the future. Yeah, yeah. Because he'll have influence from day one. Yes. And not only directly to the heir, but through the heir's parents to the heir. So it just it gets him yeah. like it gets his tentacles further wrapped around everything. Um then the high sparrow brings up Olena who is Marjorie's grandmother, the Queen of Thorns, and he says she's an unrepentant sinner and Marjorie has to teach her the new way. Or he fears for her safety, quote, body and soul. This dude makes the best veiled threats of all time. He's always smiling when he makes a demand or a threat. Uh, they're always veiled. This is another one. He's saying, basically, look, if you don't bring your grandmother into the fold, uh, my boys are going to take her out. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So the next thing we see is Septa Unella, who's standing like a statue, quiet and still, as as is, you know, her prerogative and... Lady Olena asks, does it move or talk? Referring to Lady uh, uh, Septa Unella. And Marjorie <clears throat> says that Septa Unella has been my true friend and counselor. So this is, again, this, this whole scene is the remaining, oh, my God, Marjorie's all the way in with these people now. So we obviously we, we get a, a real giveaway here in just a few minutes yes. but the true friend and counselor counselor line was my giveaway that was your tip that's my oh this is it's fake because that's bullshit because like, she yeah. would no way she could believe even that. if you bought into this you religiously would, you wouldn't buy into you you would never even if you're like this is you know true friend and counselor no that's a stretch yeah, you're right. I didn't think of it that way. I didn't see it that way, honestly. Uh, but you're completely right. That's That line should have been the, the original tipping point for everyone watching to be like, ah, oh, she's playing these people because no fucking way. Like, it, like maybe if she had just said Septa Unella is a, a, wise, a wise counselor and a yeah. devout follower. Yeah, maybe. That's something accurate, yeah. But, but, true but a true friend, friend and counselor, nah. nah. So... The Queen of Thorns stands up. She's frustrated. She's enraged. This whole situation is fucked for her. She's being bested by the High Sparrow at every turn. She seemingly now has her own granddaughter completely on his side. And uh, we also find out here in this scene that if Loris repents, admits all of his sins and shit, that the faith will allow him to return to Highgarden, as Marjorie explains to her grandmother. 
but that he will have to renounce his name and title and live his life as a penitent. Lady Onoa's response to that is, have you lost your mind? He's the heir to Highgarden, the future of House Tyrell. And Marjorie attempts to get her grandmother to see the light, but uh, by explaining that she can't leave because she has to do her duty to the king, but that her grandmother absolutely should leave. And while Onella pro- or uh, uh, while uh, Olena protests and says that she'll never leave Marjorie, Marjorie embraces her and slips her a note. And you hear like the crinkling of the paper when she's like sliding it into her hand or whatever, and you're like, "Oh shit!" An exchange has taken place. She says, "Go home," looking straight into her grandmother's eyes. As this is the moment her grandmother finally realizes, like, "Oh, thank fuck." Yeah. She's yeah. Like, oh, she's still in there somewhere. Uh, Marjorie continues, find comfort in prayer and good works and your Lisa mattress. The mother watches over us all. And that's where we uh, get into a word from our sponsor, Lisa. Do you find yourself getting distracted, forgetting things, making mistakes at work? A quality night's sleep makes all the difference, and the right mattress is the difference between resting and just laying down. The Lisa mattress is the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing, comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling, pressure relief, body contouring, and support. Over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree. The Lisa mattress gives them the rest they need. You've heard Barrett and I speak to the Lisa mattress many, many times. Also, the Lisa pillow, the Lisa blanket. All their products are fantastic. Uh, The Sapira by Lisa which combines the spring technology with the memory foam technology and is a little bit more expensive, is so, so comfortable and unbelievable. Best bet I've ever slept on. I could not more highly recommend it. And uh, you, the Clam fam, are being given a wonderful discount by the good people at Lisa. All you have to do is go to lisa.com slash dragon with the promo code dragon. Dragon. And you can try your Lisa mattress or your Sapira for 100 nights risk-free. Uh, it ships directly to your door in a convenient box with free shipping, free returns, so go today, find the right mattress for you at lisa.com slash dragon. Get the rest you need tonight. Get up to $160 off the Lisa mattress, $235 off the luxury Sapira mattress. And again, free shipping always. Lisa.com slash dragon. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Promo code dragon. Dragon. So Olena leaves and Marjorie turns to Septa Unella. Shall we pray? <laughs> That was a good. That was like a laugh out loud line. If you're fully in, on board with the Marjorie uh, ruse at this point, yeah, that was yeah. very good. Also, I just also shouts to Olena for all her um, bashing talk. You could use a good bashing. Yeah, <laughs> that's what she says. She just wants to see Olena get Onella get bashed. <laughs> Bash. You could yeah. use a good bashing. That uh, I, I, the actress's name is is slipping my mind at the moment, but the woman who plays the Queen of Thorns is so fucking good. Yeah. And this episode in particular was just a, a real joy to watch because there's there's so many great lines and like real I mean truly like laugh out loud moments in this episode. And that I th- it's Diana Diana Rigg is the woman who plays Olena Tyrell. But is that the reason you think that this was a George Martin heavily George Martin inspired written help with episode because of all the the good lines? Like it t- tends to be the episodes with the most high quality lines, like clever lines, where you're like, oh, that's a good one. Those tend to be George episodes. That's true. That's true. But I, no, I mean, I really was only talking about specifically how I felt like George gave must have given them he, like the heads up. Oh, like, hey, the, the hound is important. The hound is super important. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this episode was ju- was also maybe had some George influence because perhaps because there's there's just a lot of uh, 
but you know, there's just a lot of like good situations that create these lines in this episode yeah. as well. Yeah, you know, Marjorie, Marjorie faking devout religious uh, religiousness, and then later with the you know, we'll get there. Yeah. So outside, Olena opens up her note that that Marjorie passed to her in secret, and it's a drawing of a rose. The Tyrell family sigil is a golden rose on a pale green field. This is not colored; just it's black and white, but it's a rose. And she's telling her grandmother that this is all part of her plan to get out of there. Basically, Olena has now been brought into the fold. She's smiling, knowing her granddaughter is just playing along with these religious freaks, that she's not actually one of them. Um, this is all good for her. But how this all ends is still very much up in the air for, for us and for Olena. Uh, then we're over by the wall. I believe just south of the wall, where the wildlings are camped out. And John meets with them to ask if they'll go fight Ramsey Bolton with him. This is the first stop of many on this in this episode uh, on the campaign trail for John and Sansa and company. They're trying. They need. They need more people. So they're going to the places they know they can get more people. This is the first one, the Wildling camp, and uh, all the Wildlings are like, "Listen, man, you're cool, but you said we'd be fighting the White Walkers, and this is not that." So Tormund has to explain to them, I feel like we've heard this so many times, they wouldn't be there without John. Um, John tells the Wildlings that they're right, this isn't their fight, they shouldn't have to come to Winterfell with him, but he needs them to beat Ramsay, and if they don't beat Ramsay, uh, then Ramsay and the Karstarks and the Umbers are going to come straight to the Wildling camps afterward and kill all of them too, because they know it's mostly women and children. Basically, the Wildlings don't have a choice. Which is kind of a shitty way to present something to somebody you need on your side. But yeah. it's the way they had to do it. Yeah. Again, Tormund reminds everyone that Jon Snow died for them literally, and that if they aren't willing to do the same for him, they're cowards. And he says, quote, and if that's what we are, we deserve to be the last of the free folk. That's when one one, the giant, stands and voices his support with one word. Snow. Really heavy uh Snow. Messionic message in there with oh the, yeah he died for us yeah a little bit they just kind of beat you over the head with that line right there well he did though and for real if yeah, I, I have I to know, die for anybody i'm coming back and i'm not going to shut the fuck up about how right. i died for you yeah because that's yeah. that hurt that yeah. was that was a pain in the ass went through a lot for you that's all he's saying yeah um the, apparently this new wildling leader i don't know what he's he, 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 some guy he follows suit locks arms with john to signify their alliance they shake hands but it's in like that we're at war. Like you grab each other's forearms type of handshake, not the man handshake with men hands. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the forearm one, which is more powerful for some reason. Then we're in King's Landing, where Cersei, who is still just wandering around with the reanimated mountain, uh, visits Olena Tyrell and says she heard she was leaving King's Landing. And she wants to understand why Olena would leave when her grandson is still a prisoner rotting in a cell. But really... Cersei wants to know why the Tyrells are abandoning the Lannisters to deal with the Faith alone. She doesn't give a fuck about uh, Loras at all. Everybody has ulterior motives in this uh, storyline. So, Olena says, Loras rots in a cell because of you. The High Sparrow rules this city because of you. Our two ancient houses face collapse because of you and your stupidity. And Cersei cops to that. She says, you're right. I made a terrible mistake. I carry it with me every single day. I delivered an army of fanatics onto our doorstep, and now we must fight them together. We need each other. And Olinda wonders aloud, I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. <laughs> At a certain age, it's hard to recall, but the truly vile do stand out through the years. Do you remember the way you smirked at me when my grandson and granddaughter were dragged off to their cells? I do. 
I'll never forget it. And Olena again expresses that she's out. She's leaving. Before the High Sparrow can throw her in a cell too, she tells Cersei she'd be smart to bail as well. Quote, you've lost, Cersei. It's the only joy I can find in all this misery. Fantastic undressing of Cersei by Olena. Man, she just tears her down here. And I think it's it's pretty interesting because it might be the only time where we see kind of Cersei... She doesn't really engage. No. She does not, like, spar back. She basically just, like, takes the hits. Right. And I think it's because she knows that everything Elena is saying is true. This and is like, she really does need her. Yeah. And this, so this is the one time where I, I think Cersei really is kind of defeated. But if you take it a layer deeper and you say, maybe it's that Cersei is clever enough to basically say to herself, Look, everything this old lady says is bullshit. Uh, none of this is your fault. You're awesome. But if you just go along with what she says and agree with her, maybe that'll give you a better chance of getting her onto your side so that she'll help you. I don't know. I'm just trying to take it to the level of, at this point for me, as of last episode, really, Cersei's gone off the deep end already. So anything that could resemble an actually intelligent, morally correct stance, to me... Is part of her ruse, like well, in her whole bullshit. So, but here's the thing, Olena is basically like, "I'm not helping you. I'm out. Yeah. You're fucked. Yeah, everybody hates you. Right, thousands of people are against you. What are you going to do? Kill them all by herself?" And I think Cersei's like, "Oh, the wheels yeah. are turning. I'm gonna have to do that." And she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to do that." Ah, uh, that right. could be it too. You know, for sure. Like, yeah, I, I see that. Because because it's just it's it's it's. It's surprising that she basically just like lets Olena kind of thrash her like well, this. You make a good point because I think it was last episode that at one point I decided I think Cersei's already written off Tommen. That he's already yeah, gone to her. Yeah, right, right. And totally. this is evidence that that wasn't true yet because why even reach out to Olena for help if you believe, you know what I'm saying? She even makes it a point to say that she she's she's uh, needs to get her son out of this situation at some point or something right, like that. Right. And it's like, okay... I don't know. I, I can see it your way. Maybe this was the last ditch effort. You know, maybe this was the last thing before Cersei realizes. You know what? Fuck all these people. I'm gonna have to do this all yeah, myself. Yeah, I mean, I think she, I think in both these last two episodes, she's just kind of grasping at straws. I don't yeah. think she knows what she's gonna do. And then, as long as she's walking around with the mountain, right? I'm down with it though. Over in River Run, Jamie and Braun arrive with the Lannister forces to take back River Run from Catelyn Stark's uncle, known as the Blackfish or Sir Brendan Tully. It's Brendan with a Y, by the way, because George Martin. And uh, Braun points out that the men currently occupy, or that are laying siege currently to River Run, which are the Frey men, they're shit at sieging. Their trenches are terrible, and someone need to, needs to teach them how to dig proper trenches. And Jamie's like, I agree. Maybe you should do it. And Bronn's like, oh, whoa, hold up now, dude. You promised me a lot of shit. Now suddenly I got to go train these morons. I got to do more hard manual labor. It's like what he goes on about how Jamie promised him a lordship and a castle and a highborn beauty for a wife. And Jamie says, and you'll get all three. A Lannister always pays his. And Bronn interrupts. Don't say it. Don't fucking say it. And then he rides off. Um, the idiot Frey children are there. With Edmure Tully trying to get the Blackfish to come out and fight by threatening to hang his nephew. Yield the castle or we'll hang him, yells one of the idiot phrase. But the Blackfish just looks out over the wall, stares down the Frey boys, and doesn't flinch. 
They pull the noose from Edmure's neck and put a knife to it. They throw out some references to the Red Wedding to try to intimidate the Blackfish. Yield the castle or I'll cut his throat, yells out Black Walder. And after, like, giving a few seconds of silence, the Blackfish says, Go on, then. Cut his throat. Just calls their bluff and walks off. He's not even going to stay to watch because he knows they're not going to do it. The dude introduces himself. We've seen the Blackfish before multiple yeah. times. But we've never uh, really had a scene where you were like, oh, damn, that dude is a bad motherfucker. Yeah. This is that scene where you're like, ah, this guy's got shit under control. The phrase are the biggest bunch of slap dicks. It's just too much inbreeding, man. This side of the uh, of the narrow sea, you know? and, and It's those fucking hats. That- Why? I just, I, I just, I have to give props to everybody involved with the show and George for conveying their idiocy, their doofusness, so well with those dumb fucking hats. <laughs> <laughs> they really are the worst. They though. look so just dumb. Like you couldn't, you couldn't look goofier. Only an idiot would pick that hat. <laughs> uh, and then, and and you know, it's just really made. This is maybe the scene. Where you see the most contrast between what other people basically this really drives home how wealthy the Lannisters are and how poor some of these other like relatively big name houses are. Like the I phrase. Mean, the phrase or I guess the phrase historically have been kind of an afterthought. That's why Walter Frey is so salty about everything. Yes. But when you see Jamie standing there in that gorgeous red and gold armor that looks like it costs about six thousand dollars yeah and then the phrase are just in rags basically and have like a towel on their head <laughs> in a non-towel head joke way like that's essentially a rag yeah it like mean, just laying across yeah. his fucking head it so looks it, terrible. it really is like you're okay the lannisters are the pros here here comes this big swing and dick to clean up this mess and then just more gold up there with brawn you know don't fucking say it with his Dude. with the Conor McGregor incredible I, and this this was the line where because they're at this point I've laughed out loud at least three times and I just have to say again and I know it's probably I'm beating a dead horse here but this is the difference to me between Game of Thrones and shows like Westworld and Handmaid's Tale okay that just like have not they don't spare a single second for like moments of humanity and levity it's just it's all so like dark and gloom and like ah. just give me a moment of something to hold on to because even in the most even in the worst situations even with terrible shit happening and the army of the dead coming down to kill you right like, life still has funny moments yes so when you just eradicate them completely you, you're just like sucking me down into a vacuum of just dread and I don't want to watch your show there's some reason comedic relief was invented right and it's because no one can take non-stop gloom and doom yeah you need to laugh right and Game of Thrones is darker uh, and has more doom and gloom than any show ever made right but they find a way to make it Enjoyable, yeah, because interactions between people frankly. are still can still be funny, and that's I just so just props to Game of Thrones for always keeping that in mind. And that's real though; that's how life is. Like for the most part, we use comedy to extinguish moments of like horrible stress or whatever. Like that's one of the ways we yeah. use it. So it just it makes sense. People would be saying things to each other that are funny even in bad times. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. no comedy without tragedy. Yeah, there's very little of that in uh, well. Pretty much none in The Handmaid's there Tale. There is none in The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, in Westworld, they try on occasion, but it's never as funny. The, Game of Thrones is always funnier. 
Yeah. In the moments where Game of Thrones is funny, it's really funny. Like, it's very well done. Um, so the Blackfish is like, fuck off. Cut his throat. Uh, Jamie and, and uh, Braun approach Lothar and Black Walder, the two idiot Frey kids. And they're like, oh, Sir Jamie, we didn't know you were coming. And Jamie says, because you didn't set a proper perimeter. You just allowed 8,000 men to approach unchallenged. Braun says, good thing we're friends or we'd be fucking you in the ass right now. Uh, this is another funny moment, not just because of Braun's great uh, anal line, but because Lothar and Blackwalder are so fucking stupid that they approached the castle, set up a weak-ass siege operation, <laughs> and they didn't have anyone facing the other direction to make sure no one comes up uh, behind them. They didn't them. even set a perimeter. Didn't set a perimeter? What a rookie move. Just doofuses out there. Everybody just knows that. you got to fucking set a perimeter. So Jamie orders them to have Lord Edmure bathed and fed. And Blackwalder is like, fuck that. Why is Jamie suddenly giving orders? Uh, Jamie has to smack him around a little bit. Order is restored. Jamie tells Braun to get word to the Blackfish that he wants to parlay like they do in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Very yep. important mm -hmm. to recognize Pirates of the Caribbean is the original introducer of the uh, parlay, parlay to most Americans between the ages of 20 and 40. Somewhere in there. Next, we're suddenly on Bear Island, where I don't think we've ever been before, and we're with Jon Snow and Sansa Stark. They are on their uh, next stop on their campaign to ask for the Mormont support in taking back Winterfell from the Boltons. Bear Island is where the Mormonts are from. You've met many Mormonts. Jorah Mormont, who is Khaleesi's right-hand man, slash uh, he's in love with her, slash he has grayscale. Uh, you've met uh, Gior Mormont, who was the knight or the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. You've met Mormonts. This is your third Mormont, I think, and it's little lady Mormont. She's a 10-year-old girl. Somehow landed in charge of her entire house with bigger balls than everyone else in the entire show combined. Yep. Welcome to Bear Island, she says. She's a little badass, the most mature and adult child to ever exist. Sansa tries to tell her that she's going to be a great beauty for some weak argument, like she met, once met her aunt or something, and Lady Mormont says, uh, I doubt it. My mother wasn't a great beauty or any other type of beauty, but she was a great warrior, though. She died fighting for your brother, Rob. So then John tries to chime in. He's like, I served under your uncle at Castle Black, Lady Liana. He was also a great warrior and honorable man. I was his steward. In fact, I... And Le Liana interrupts. I think we've had enough small talk. Why are you here? <laughs> Classically, Liana Mormont. Just Classically. Man, just so much sass in such a tiny package. Straight to the point. Yeah. It turns out uh, these Mormons are very loyal. When the Sta when uh, Stannis asked for aid, their response was, quote, Bear Island knows no king but the king in the north whose name is Stark. But little lady Lyanna is skeptical of Sansa because she's a Bolton or a Lannister. And Jon Snow is a Snow, at least as far as Lady Mormont knows. Uh, so Jon has to explain, look, it's our duty to take Winterfell back, especially because the... Uh, Bolton's hold Rick on Stark and Lady Mormont just isn't buying any of this shit she doesn't understand why she should have to sacrifice even one more Mormont man for someone else's war and John is kind of at a loss so then Davos stops up steps up third person to try to take a shot at this thing and she turns as he's like you know beginning the conversation she turns to her maester to ask about <laughs> Davos and he says you needn't ask your maester about my house it's rather new it's rather new yeah so then he goes on to explain to little lady Liana why she should care. That it's our war, not hers, not theirs, but it's all of theirs. Um, he speaks to how Gior Mormont trusted John 
and how he knew he would make the right decisions when the time came. And basically, that as long as the Boltons have Winterfell, the North will be divided, and a divided North won't have a chance in hell against the Night King. Um, it seems, by the way, not only has Lyanna heard things and rumors about, for instance, Sansa's particular marriage situation, like she knows she's been married twice now, mm-hmm, she doesn't know which mm-hmm. one she officially is, whether it be a Lannister or a uh, Bolton. She also has a little bit of knowledge about the situation with the Army of the Dead. It doesn't take much explaining here, is my point. Yeah, yeah, it does not. And I, I yeah, let's go with that. She's I'm with been you. told some I'm, shit. I'm, I'm with you. Because like, otherwise, she just like really... She'd be like, oh, excuse me, sir, pause. Uh, I don't know who you are. You're missing some fingers, by the way. But the Night King, who? She would ask questions. Yeah. She'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about, yeah, old man? Yeah, she's very easily persuaded here with talk of the Night King. So she must have some bit of knowledge. What if it, what if it was just that she had no idea and didn't want to have to ask the question, so she <laughs> pretended to know? She's like, ah, yes, the Night King, the army of the dead. My I mean, God, yeah, you're right. We not, must deal with these. Not out of the realm of possibility. No. Yeah. You know, so. But she seems to be pretty educated on all this shit. She, at least to the point where she just needs a little bit of convincing to uh, join the fray without... A pun being intended there. So, her maester leans in to address her again, and Lady Lyanna waves him off, which is another power move, and she says, House Mormont has kept faith with House Stark for a thousand years. We will not break faith today. And they're like, oh, fuck, thank God. How many men? How many men uh, How many men do you got? And she, like, leans over to her <laughs> military advisor, and then she uh, leans back to the center of her chair, and she pledges 62 <laughs> fighting men to the cause. She says... We are not a large house, but we are a proud one. And every man from Bear <laughs> Island fights with the strength of ten manlanders. I love how every different island believes that their men fight with the strength yes. of ten manlanders. Yes. Whether yeah. it's the fucking Iron Island, any any movie with islands and a group of people that live just on the islands. <laughs> yeah, mainlanders suck. Fuck the mainlanders. Yeah. Islanders way harder. You go to Hawaii, they're like, oh yeah. god, yes. the fucking mainlanders. They just won't stop coming over here and fucking tourists. Yep. Yeah. This I, just after all this buildup, though, this character is so good. It's like you're, you're you're wrapped up in like how mature and adult she is, and how you know just great the character is. Right. And then they finally convince her Davos, big speech, all <laughs> yeah. that. This is ten minutes of the fucking episode here. <laughs> how many fighting men can we expect? Sixty-two. Sixty-two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just yeah. also you have to give props to her military advisor because anyone else is rounding down or up, right? Like I'm, you're probably rounding down to sixty. He gave the exact number. Yeah, He's like, we yeah. can literally spare 62, no more, right. no less. That's all you get. Yep. Oh, God. Um, Davos' response to the 62 men pledged is, is if, they're, if they're half as ferocious as their lady, the Boltons are doomed. And again, to your point, that whole fucking scene, 62 men. Later, by the way, when Sansa starts going through the numbers and where these numbers came from and which houses have provided which men, the Boltons are the smallest by far. Like, they're, it's by far. We'll get to that in a little the bit. The Mormons. I'm sorry, the Mormons. Sorry, yes. God, so many house names. It's the hardest part of doing a podcast about this show is remembering all the names. <laughs> and if you go back and listen to like the first 10 episodes we ever did, I know like three people's names. <laughs> I know John and Ned and uh, like Cersei, that's it. Everybody else I just have to keep describing <laughs> until Barrett says their actual name. It's really pathetic. Anyway, I'm doing my best. Next, we're at River Run. Where Jamie is having his parlay with the Blackfish. He walks up to some... It's like... I, at first, I was like, are they sneaking him in the back? But there's a drawbridge, and the drawbridge lowers. The Blackfish comes yeah, out. Yeah, hey, good moat here. Oh, we, don't get, we don't get enough moats. We, we really don't. 
We need more Give close me more looks at moats. Yeah, yeah. Jamie like takes a minute to be like, ah, that's a fine moat. Yeah, yeah. We get an angle. Love a down good drawbridge. Yeah. Love just a drawbridge coming down. You know. It's, there's something that's a power move about a drawbridge as well. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. It's like several people having to use cranks to get this thing to come down just so he can walk out and make fun of Jamie for a little bit and then go back in. Like, it just, the whole thing is, like, Blackfish is great. The way he uh, addresses Jamie, he walks out and says, Kingslayer. And Jamie says, Blackfish. It's just great. Two guys with kick-ass nicknames. So he tells Jamie he assumes he's there to fulfill the vow he gave his niece. I don't see Sansa and Arya, he says. Of course, Jamie doesn't have them. And the Blackfish knows that. He's just starting to give him a hard time. He tells Jamie that, uh, look, he's like, you can do the siege if you want. You're going to lose thousands. Sure, we'll lose, we'll lose hundreds, but you're going to lose thousands. And Jamie's like, the war is over, sir. Why sacrifice living men to a lost cause? And the Blackfish says, as long as I'm standing, the war is not over. This is my home. I was born in this castle, and I'm ready to die in it, so you can either attack or try to starve us out. We have enough provisions for two years. Do you have two years, Kingslayer? And then he just walks off, and Jamie yells like from behind, You clearly have no intention of saving your men's lives. Why did you come and treat with me? And the blackfish turns around and walks back to his face and says, or not, uh, not all the way over to him, but you know what I'm saying. Turns around. Sieges are dull, <laughs> and I wanted to see you in person. Get the measure of you. Jamie's like, well, you have. And Blackfish is like, aye, now I have. I'm disappointed. And then he just walks off and the drawbridge is raised so in Jamie's face that it could have like clipped his nose on the way up. He has to like take a step back. So the situation out there at River Run remains unresolved for the time being. Next, we're at Deepwood Mott. We're just going all over the place to these different like strongholds and castles that I'm not sure we've ever been to before. Uh, we're with John and Sansa again. They're recruiting houses to their cause. And the Glovers are the house that has historically held Deepwood Mott, as Lord Glover says. They've only just taken their castle back from the Ironborn. If you remember, this is the place that was on the list of places they were going to take, that the Ironborn were going to take as part of their strategy to insert themselves into this whole situation and become a power player again. Uh, Pre-death of their king. So... Back when, you know, idiot Theon decided to take Winterfell, Yara, I believe, was the one that was taking Deepwood Mott. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Lord Glover is not easily convinced to do this at all. He Again, he's not down. They he, he says the Boltons just helped him get this castle back. Why the hell would he now fight against them? He could be skinned for even talking to Jon and Sansa. He, he's really only interested in knowing what other southern houses have already pledged their men to this cause. So John tells them he has House Mormont, and Lord Glover's like, and who else? And John starts to rattle off houses to which they've sent ravens, and Lord Glover's like, no, no, I don't give a fuck about ravens. You're asking me to join your army. I'd like to know who's fighting in this army. And then John finally, like, he's like, <coughs> the bulk of our force is made up of wildlings. <coughs> like, you know, you don't want to say that shit. It just, and just, I mean, on Glover's part here, this is classic annoying friend behavior. Well, you already know the thing you're trying to get. Well, it's just, you know, you're talking to like a group of friends, you're trying to get something organized. You know, you want people to come do something or go to something. Right. And everybody's just like, well, who's going? Who's going? Yeah. Who's going? And you're like, well, if you say you're going. Then we can start to then build. We, then we start to, yeah. You, somebody has to commit. Just be the guy to commit. Like, come on. If you say you're going, then I get to say that you're going and then more people will go. Yeah. 
if everybody just says yes, the key here is going. The key here is to lie a lot to get the <laughs> snowball rolling, right? And right, then it all yeah. falls together. Yeah, yeah. Or it explodes in your face. Uh, That's but all, then yeah. by that point, you just don't even go yourself, right? So like one kid shows right, up to the yeah. movie and it's like, uh -huh. what the fuck? <laughs> Barrett, you organized this whole thing. You're not even here. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Oh, man. So Lord Glover says, then the rumors are true. I didn't dare believe them. I received you out of respect for your father. Now I would like you to leave. House Glover will not abandon its ancestral home to fight alongside wildlings. So Lord Glover is an old racist, part of the old guard. He's been raised to hate and fear wildlings. He has absolutely no reason to understand or fathom at all why, why John, in, in, all, in Lord Glover's defense, I suppose, he has no fucking reason to want to go with this guy and to help them at all. Considering all the facts and what he does and doesn't know, you got a fair point. We got a good uh, king in the north. Uh, the king here. in the north. The king in the north. We followed your brother. We held him. King of the North. <laughs> That's good. That's an angry, uh, good angry voice. Uh, that was a good one. That was a yeah. good one. So Sansa chimes in to remind Lord Glover that he and his house are pledged to House Stark, sworn to, answer, sworn to answer when called upon, and John immediately like face palms. He's like, oh no. And Lord Glover turns around and stomps back towards Sansa and says, yes, my family served House Stark for centuries. We wept when we heard of your father's death. When my brother was lord of this castle, he answered Rob's call and hailed him king in the north. King in the north. And where was King Rob when the Ironborn attacked this castle, when they threw my wife in prison and brutalized and killed our subjects, taking up with a foreign whore, getting mm. himself and those who followed him killed? I served House Stark once, but House Stark is dead. Man, strong words from uh, an unfamiliar man to us, and that's the end of that. So then we're in an undisclosed whorehouse, and we get this incredible. This is one of my. I, I don't know why, but this is one of my favorite scenes in the show, uh, because it's like almost like watching like if you dropped like a crackhead into a room filled with crack, but no crack pipe. Because Theon is just looking around this whorehouse, and there's topless chicks and titties everywhere and his sister's making out with topless chicks and he's tweaking out he has a ghost boner he's miserable this is his fucking nightmare you know when you see like an interpretation of hell for most people um it's like their worst possible circumstance this is theon's own personal hell he's in a whorehouse with no penis mm. you hate to see it god he says why did we have to come here and she's like some of us still like it yara is a yara is a lesbian just she's the first lesbian character mm -hmm. in the history of game of thrones it's a big deal big deal full on lesbian we've had some gay men we've had bi women but no lesbian women uh, until now and uh, she gets another joke or two in about him not having a dick before she finally feels bad and has to apologize and say that she would never hurt him even though she just did like three times so they acknowledge that their uncle Euron is definitely hunting them. That's the psycho who took control of the Iron Islands and is out with the, you know, his force attempting to hunt them down. And uh, Yara says, because as long as they're alive, they are a threat to his claim, so he has no choice but to take them out. Uh, then she gets into like this really, it's I don't even want to call it peer pressure. She's hazing Theon, makes him drink his cup of ale repeatedly to remember who he is, Ironborn, says that she needs him. Uh, quote, the real Theon Greyjoy, not this rat shit pretender. Can you find him for me? Drink! You escaped, you hear me? You got away and you're never going back. She makes him chug a couple more times, and then it's time to get real. She says, listen to me. If you're so broken that there's no coming back, take a knife and cut your wrists. End it. But if you're staying, Theon, I need you. 
We're going to sail to Marine. We're going to make a pact with this Dragon Queen. And we're going to take back the Iron Islands. Are you with me? Are you really with me? And Theon looks her dead in the eyes and nods. So this is important, obviously, to the uh, understanding of what Yara's plan is here. She kind of has the same exact plan as her fucking uncle. Does she not? She does. They both want to go make a pact with Daenerys. Yeah, that's what that's what that's the point is to beat him to it basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh that's the that's the next move here. Um and then she says, "Now, since it's my last night ashore for a long while, I'm going to go fuck the tits off this one." <laughs> and uh motions to the the hooker she was making out with, it's, which is this is awesome. Pirate life is kick ass. What does she say? Like nothing nothing in the Iron Islands has an ass like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is insulting to the Iron Islands. Uh, Surely well, there's an ass like nah, that. I doubt it. Doubt it. I really that's do. That's just that's harsh. I feel like the grass is always greener. Mm. You know? Yeah. Good Iron Islander ass out there somewhere. They just don't show it though, you know? They don't they don't. <laughs> through all those black rags. Ch- yeah. Anyway, so then we're on to Winterfell. John and his forces stop and they make camp. On the way to Winterfell, where Davos points out uh, they are using one of Stannis' old camps. The, the tents are all set up and mm-hmm. shit still. It's very depressing. And Sansa's like, and that's a good thing? Uh, which, to her point, hey, man, we're going to camp at the guy who got rocked's place? Like, this is a terrible idea. But Davos uh, reminds them that Stannis was the most experienced commander in Westeros. He chose this place for a reason. The mountains are a natural fortification, and the stream down there is for the horses. All this is well thought out. Uh, John's like, we're not staying here long. Another storm could hit any day. So everybody's on their toes here, which is good. These are the things that Stannis should have gone through his head and everyone with him. Like, you know what I mean? Like poking holes in the plan. And this is how you make sure you're doing the right thing. So John wants to march now while they still can before more snow comes and fucks everything up and he gets slaughtered like Stannis did. And Davos is like, well, we have 2,000 wildlings, 200 horrid woods, 143 mazens, and then Sansa's like, 62 mormonts. Uh, Davos says, it's not what we had hoped for, but we still have a chance if we're careful and smart. Uh, And then he sees two men start fighting and he breaks off from, from Sansa and John to go handle it. And Sansa's like, so he's your most trusted advisor now. Because he secured 62 men from a 10-year-old. Um, and again, I, I took this as... You could have been like, man, Sansa's really being bitchy here. Like, what, what's, what, what's with crawling up John's ass, getting all over Davos? She's just trying to make sure they're doing the right things, all right? And she, to her credit, if you remember what's going to happen in a couple episodes from now, is correct about all of this. They don't have enough people. And she saves all of their asses with her uh, behind-the-scenes trickery between her and Littlefinger. So... Bitch if you want, but she's she's correct. John and everyone else would be dead if she wasn't the one asking questions like, Yeah, yeah. So this guy's, you're going with this fucking guy because of the 62 many guy from a 10-year-old? She's correct. Um, but John says they don't have time. We fight with the army we have, he says. And Sansa like looks around at the men fighting with each other. She spots Lady Mormont with some ravens she's unloading in boxes. And then we see Sansa. That apparently gave her the idea. She's like, fuck, I can write a raven. And she's writing on a little raven scroll, and she's signing it herself and sealing it with the wolf seal of the Starks. And we don't know what the message says, but the fact that we spend 30 seconds or so with her staring at it uh, means it seems pretty important. You have to assume. Yes. So then we finish off the episode back at the commune where... Uh, 
Oh, well, actually, this is not the last place we go. Sorry. But Ray, the leader, again, played by Ian McShane, he's preaching to his people, telling them about his old life where he'd do bad things just because he was ordered to, burning villages, stealing crops, killing young people. He tells the story of slitting a young boy's throat while his friends held the mother back and how much shame he felt that night and how all he could do with the time, or how he decided that all he could do with the time he has left is to try to put a little good back into the world. And this, this quote from him is... Uh, pretty powerful and aimed directly at the hound. He says, it's never too late to stop robbing people, to stop killing people, start helping people. It's never too late to come back. He's trying to impress upon the hound that just because he's done all of the horrible things he's done does not mean he can't change and be good moving forward. And just as he's making that point, three men on horseback ride up. Uh, one of the three, by the way, and I know we discussed this the oh, first time around. Did. And this was a terrible choice by casting. This is a bearded Euron Greyjoy, essentially, is the guy The guy in the middle. Uh, the guy that's the one talking. Euron kind of has a beard, too, though. It's, it's very confusing. A, it's just a bigger beard. This is a bad casting decision. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, surely they had to know, hey, this dude kind of looks like Euron. Are people going to be... The spitting image. Mildly confused. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. thankfully we're all smart enough to figure it out, but right. it's just, you're just like, oh, come on, that guy looks way too much like you're Yeah, on. it really did. Really yeah. did. Uh, so we find out here, oh, this is where I noticed in the episode that Ray's name is Ray via subtitles. I don't think anybody's referred to him as such yet. I, I think, think the so. only I, way we ever find out his name is through the subtitles. It might be. It might I'm, be. I'm pre- I'm, if I remember correctly, that's the, that's the case. Okay. So these soldiers ask for horses. They don't have any. They don't have any gold. They don't have any steel. They want food. Uh... And Ray's like, well, you're welcome to stay for supper, but we have hungry mouths here. And the soldier's response to that is, stay safe. The night is dark and full of terrors, which is important and concerning, um, especially because Lady Melisandre's concerning music starts to kick up in the background here, the, the red lady, the red god music. Yeah, uh, to me that this was, to me what I took from this was, and I mean, they give it to us just a couple minutes later, but I was just like, okay, they're brotherhood. They're brotherhood without banners because those guys are... Servants of the Lord of Light. Yeah, I didn't get that really. Um, I just took it as like, well, fuck, those guys are the Lord of Light. Ray's wearing a seven-pointed star around his neck and greeting them with some Lord of Light bullshit saying, yeah, uh, seven yeah. save you, friends, which the Hound mocks him for. <laughs> um, that seven can't be save good. you, friends. Yeah. So, yeah, the next scene is the Hound doing some wood chopping as he uh, is wont to do in this commune. That's all he does. He's getting all that anger and frustration out. And the hound mocks him, says, seven save you friends, and Ray's like, I'm a fucking Septon, what was I supposed to say? Uh, so I guess the Ray was a Septon. I don't know if that's self-anointed or if he was legitimately a Septon of the, of hmm. the seven, but uh, yeah. that's an interesting little line. So the hound explains that those soldiers were from the Brotherhood. Uh, he explains that to me, because Barrett had already figured it out. Uh, they follow the Red God, and Ray tells Sandor he's done enough work for the day to come have some supper, and the Hound's like, nah, it's going to be cold tonight. i got to chop more firewood. So he stays. And then we're back in Bravos with Arya, and she's, she's uh, sneaking around, and she sneaks over by this table where these two men are talking, and one of them says something about how the Iron Fleet is in Slaver's Bay, which is a reference to Euron Greyjoy. Or is it... No, it's, oh, it's, it's Yara and Theon. So that's progressing Yara and Theon to Slaver's Bay already. Already, That's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. That's a cool little time stamp. Yep. So she approaches these men, and she calls them out for being Westerosi and says she wants to book a passage home and throws a bunch of money, demands they leave at sunrise. They agree. Uh, and then Arya heads over to a little bridge. It's like a little drawbridge. Not a drawbridge. Just a little stone bridge 
maybe 15 feet long, and she's just overlooking the the water, looking at the massive Titan statue that that's over Bravos. Reflecting on her time in Bravos. Yeah, she's about to leave. Yeah, she's yeah. like, oh, what a vacation this was. This was great. <laughs> and uh, just didn't, uh, out of nowhere, she's approached by an elderly woman who says, sweet girl, and then immediately attacks her, slashes her belly, stabs her repeatedly in the gut. Wave shank. She pulls her face off, and it's the wave. Hashtag wave shank. Uh, <laughs> why did she mess around with the sweet girl line? That's a shit line. She just said something funny. She's getting that stab off no matter what at that point. Probably. All she had I, was sweet girl. The sweet girl, it just, it like disarms her. Just enough? Just enough. So she, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. I just wanted to argue so badly for something other than sweet girl. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. But okay, if it was effective, it worked. <coughs> so Arya fights off the wave, throws herself over the bridge, into the water. She's bleeding big time, and this is very evident by the massive pool of blood in the water. Uh, she gets out of the water eventually, as we see. The wave, by the way, just kind of like smiles and like pulls at her vest as if she's accomplished her mission, which seems... That's the only thing I'll say. I'll poke a hole there. Uh, wouldn't you, like, confirm the kill or something? Maybe jump in the water, just cut her fucking head off? I don't know. This was this was a weird move. You know, so, one, the waif is bad at her job. She's awful. The worst. Yeah. And two, I, you'd think that with all those stabs, you got them. I guess. I don't know. It was like in the side, you know? But yes, any good assassin confirms the kill. Yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Um, so Arya's just walking around now at this point. She's bleeding like hell from her belly. Uh, she's in the streets of Bravos. She's walking, shivering, dripping a trail of blood everywhere. And as she walks, I realize what she's doing in this rewatch uh, for the first time. She's looking at the faces of everyone she passes. And you get all these... Everyone in, that she passes is looking at her because, you know, presumably because she's fucking bleeding everywhere. Mm -hmm. She looks like she's about to die. But as you get that POV from Arya in the episode, every face is turned towards you and she keeps like looking directly into the faces to figure out, is, is one of these the waif? Is one mm -hmm. of them Jock and Hagar? Is she about to get executed? Like, right. That's the impression you're supposed to take from what she's doing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but as we find out later, she got a little bit of a plan going. She's got scheming a bit. But that's it for her in this episode as we are now uh, back at the commune where the hound goes on chopping wood and doing man shit. He's getting all his rage out, getting all his fury out. He stops to take a drink and that's when he hears screaming. And you pretty much know what that means yep. the second it happens. Uh, everybody's going to be dead. And he sprints back to the commune. When he gets there, that's what he finds. Everybody's been murdered. You have to assume by the Brotherhood, by the three guys that just came up asking for shit. They didn't get any shit, so they came back with a bunch of men and fucking killed everyone. Which I have to say seems like a bit of an extreme reaction, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, there's arrows everywhere, which just kind of pissed me off. Because it's like, oh, come on, you were picking people off with arrows? Like, it just made me even even more yeah, kind of like disgusted. Well, and what was weird that they don't, and I think we get a little bit more of a story later on this, but it's kind of perplexing because the last really the only information that we have about the brotherhood without banners is with uh Beric Dondarrion and Thanos right. of Mir. Right. So it's like these guys are 
kind of in a gray area. They're not like. Did you call him Thanos of Mir? Is that what? what? Thoros. Thoros. Thanos is, is from, from uh, Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still haven't seen, by the way. Yeah. Well, Good save by me. I well, love to work in a uh, pop culture reference. So there, you, there's, yeah. there it is. Yeah. Uh, Thoros of Mir. Excuse me. <laughs> These guys are like, you know, they're doing a little thieving and a little gray area. They're very shady. much in a gray area. Yeah, yeah. But they're not like bad dudes. They're not. Right. They're not reaving and raping and killing entire villages because they didn't get any steel or food. They took out the hippie commune. Yeah. What the fuck, man? It's like the that's, happiest place we've ever seen. That's super messed up. That's, that's some real... It's concerning. That's, that's, what some it effed, is. that's some effed up stuff right there. It's not right. It is not right. Uh, the hound finds Ray hanging from the church. I assume it's a church. Again, I'm, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. fucking I, Yeah, I, I think that's the same. He's hanging same in the bet. middle of it. It's, just, it's the most messed up possible. Ver- it's not like Ray insulted these guys or said anything mean. No, was, no totally plain uh, with them and and polite, offered them to stay and eat with them. It's super fucked up. He's, he, uh, Ian, Ian McShane, maybe the most disappointing character introduction in the history of the show, because uh, everyone, we were so pumped on Ian being on the show at all. When we first found out he was cast, I was like, yes, this is a huge win, because I love Deadwood. Um, Ian McShane is an incredible actor. Was there were there rumors of somebody else coming in for this little cameo? Why do Maybe I feel like I remember before, that before before Ian actually. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember something like that. I don't too. know, but um, yeah, I mean, he was you know it was it was a it was a it was fun one, one episode. It was one arc. episode. It was the beginning and the end basically. And uh, listen, he's great. It's just a bummer not to get. I thought we were getting him as like you know yeah, somebody like that would matter yeah, long term. Couple couple episode arc at least. Cool of them to do this though. Yeah. So uh, the hound is looking up at Ray's body. He looks at his face, and then you see the expression on the hound's face change from, like, moderately annoyed to uh, rampage mode, and he pulls an <laughs> axe from a stump, and uh, the credits roll. He's, he's, he's clearly going to get revenge. So they leave us with a rare thing to look forward to, kind of. You, I, don't, I feel like most episodes don't... They end with, like... Now you can deal with that, like a <laughs> yeah, fact right, where, right. or a thing that happens where you're like, "Holy <laughs> shit!" This is you looking forward to a hound slaughter with an axe, which is if you were to throw out, you know, hey, you get to pick one thing mm-hmm. you could see. The hound slaughtering people with an axe is way up there on my choices that I'm gonna fucking overview before I decide. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, what you? What did you? How did you take the hound grabbing this axe and 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 going about? Like, what okay, did, well, I guess. The question is, the Hound moving forward. What does he look like yeah. uh, as a, as a character? Because we've we've just had this episode where he's clearly been impressed upon by Ray, right. the leader of this commune, who who believes you can do good still, even if you've done bad before. Yeah, and I think the Hound takes a piece of Ray with him moving forward, and that piece is. It's the positivity part. He he thinks he can make a positive influence on the world, even if he's doing bad things. Yeah. Okay. With an axe. Yeah. So that's exactly that's exactly what I have. Yeah. Too. He he takes that part from Ray of of knowing that he can be an agent of of positive, positive change, change yeah. and and doing some good. Right. At the same time, it's like, but I'm gonna have to do it my way, which is with violence. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I would compare it to Arya's learning from the. Uh, the house of hall the house of black and white mm-hmm. she's like she gets the message but it's like yeah but i'm going to have to do this shit my way right, um, right. but essentially she's taking the beliefs with her you know yeah. what i mean so but rays rays uh hopefully i'm saying this word right passivity like his passiveness sure 
I don't know. I'm the wrong person to yeah, ask. But yeah. I think passiveness is a word that that works. He his his belief that you know you can put down the weapons basically and right. create good that way. The hound's like, nah, that's not gonna. That's, well, he sees that fail. It, yeah, it fails. He sees. Right. Hey, this is like, not a world where that works. Yes, he sees this guy almost had it right. Yeah, I think he had the right outlook. I think he had the right attitude, but he should have kept the axe. Yeah, <laughs> so he picks the axe back up, and right. that's where the hound rolls from here. This episode of the Night's Rewatch is brought to you by Me Undies. Far as I knew until recently, Me Undies was just the underwear brand with the crazy fun prints. But until I had actually tried them on, I didn't realize how insanely comfortable they are. Seriously, uh, these are the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn, ever put on my body, ever. They use a micro-modal fabric, which is a full three times softer than regular cotton. That's called science. You're welcome. It will melt your mind how soft these things are. It's the exact fabric you deserve to have down there coddling your family jewels. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. You're going to love these undies, but if for some inexplicable reason you're not into them, me undies will do whatever they can to get you into the right pair. And if they can't, just keep them and they'll refund you. So it really is truly a risk free situation for you to try out the best underwear ever. And fall is here now, as we all know. They've got fantastic Halloween prints on me undies, jack o' lantern prints in undies, socks, and bralettes. Uh, and MeUndies has a great offer for you, the Clam Fam. For any first-time purchasers, when you purchase MeUndies, you get 15% off and free shipping. So this is a no-brainer. 15% off the most comfortable underwear you'll ever put on. To get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash dragon. dragon. Yeah. Slash dragon. dragon. That's meundies.com slash dragon. M E U N D I E S dot com slash dragon. dragon. We will be back next Monday to talk about the eighth episode of season six titled No One, written by Benioff and Weiss, directed by Mark Mylod. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles. We are on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. Uh, you can like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. You can follow me. Ross Bolin on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, at WRBolin. It's the same on all three, W-R-B-O-L-E-N. I have another podcast. It's a comedy podcast. It's called the Ross Bolin Podcast, where every week we talk about fun stuff like animals, pirates, ninjas, Vikings, serial killers. Um, it's light, but we also like to get a little serious, talk about life shit, important stuff, like Ray did in this episode. And those are the places you can follow and listen to me, Barrett. Where can the Clam Fam follow you, and where else can they hear your uh, uh, beautiful voice? I the Club voice? Cool podcast earlier, so check that out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just search for Club Cool style pop culture. Um, it's it's a very good podcast. Uh, you can follow me personal accounts at Barrett Dudley on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, come come check it out. Come see what you see. All right, I will. <laughs> Our hotline number is 86643-CLAMS. Intern Luke has officially relinquished hotline duties back to me. Damn it, Intern Luke. I'm getting the hotline calls in my inbox again, though, which is good news. Um, keep the calls coming in. I know we didn't do any this week. That's, uh, no, I don't have an excuse, so I'm not going to give one. 86643-CLAMS. Just call. I promise you we will get back. The hotline calls will be in every episode just as they have been in the past. Please rate and review. If you're enjoying the night's rewatch, go to Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify now. Can you believe that shit? Spotify. 
rate and review wherever it is that you listen, whether it's SoundCloud or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is, rate and review. But then also go back to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, even if that's not where you listen, because that's where you can do the most damage for us. We appreciate it. Go to grandxshop.com slash OCC for Game of Thrones and Oysters, Clams, and Cockles themed t-shirts to support the podcast. Again, next week, sixth season, eighth episode, no one. Gracias. Adiós. Thank you.